Jonah chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Jonah, we've been working through this story and I guess for many people the story of Jonah contained in the Bible, it's one of those stories which is, I guess it loses credibility to the 21st century mind. It's got the idea of Jonah and the whale and swallowed by a great whale at the bottom of the sea. All of those kind of things. And we look at it and we say, how can this possibly have anything to say to us today? One of the important things that we need to bear in mind when we come to this is that we need to have, um, we need to understand at least what the Bible claims. Whether we accept it or not, I, I, I cannot persuade you, I cannot... I just want to present to you what the Bible says. What the Bible describes, the whole of the Scripture is doing, the whole of the Bible has a purpose, which is to lead us to understand how God is bringing us back into relationship with Him. It is interconnected. It's not just a set of books which happen to be grabbed together and somebody thought, oh, that looks like an interesting bit of ancient writing. It talks about God, the God of the Hebrews. We'll add that in. <laughs> you know, that'll do. Rather, what we see is we see the step-by-step purpose of God of revealing Himself to humanity again and engaging with and then finally, in our understanding, bringing us to a Savior. Somebody who can save us. That means that every book, every bit of uh, the Bible has a purpose primarily in creating that series of steps that brings us to Jesus. That's one of the purposes of Jonah. Now one of the problems that we have when we come to the book of Jonah is the idea of this Jonah and the big fish getting swallowed by a fish. How can that possibly be so? And I can't believe it because that's too much of a barrier to me. One of the things that Jesus said is, um, uh, you'll receive only one sign. You'll receive, receive the sign of the prophet Jonah. What does that mean? What it means as far as Jesus is concerned is, 
Uh, Jonah is, is a picture of something far greater. What happens with Jonah? Well, in, in actual fact, we've got to the point where it's really helpful to open this up. Jonah has been uh, rebellious towards God who's told him to go to a wicked city, a city that is full of pagan people who are not followers of the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh. And he's told to go to that city and in going to that city uh, to speak to them uh, and to convey to them the message of the living God. And Jonah decides in his wisdom rather than the wisdom of God, that is not a message that I want to take. They don't deserve it. They're bad people. They're not the, the pure Israel. And I know what God is like. He'll go and forgive them. That's just the kind of God he is. And therefore he goes in the other direction. He heads away. Uh, and Jonah ends up uh, dying, if you like. That's the way he describes it in chapter 2. He says, I I'm a dead man in the bottom of the sea. He doesn't literally die, uh, but he describes himself as being in the grave. He's in the grave for three days, uh, and then he comes out of the grave, and he goes and he takes the message to these pagans. That creates for us, immediately, Jesus says, a connection with me. Because I am the ultimate Jonah. Here we are today, 21st century, in uh, escape in Castleford. You couldn't get further from the God of the ancient Bible, the God of the ancient Hebrews and, and this story here. And yet what we find is God's purpose is that his message will be taken to pagans like you and me. People who are outside of God's community historically. People who, if you were an ancient Israelite, you would not think we deserve to hear the message of God. And yet here we are hearing the message of God. Why is that? Because God is de determined for people to be reached and to be... Uh, to be shaped and to be helped, and then finally to, be, to have the revelation of the truth of Jesus explained to them. And Jesus says, you'll only receive the sign of the prophet Jonah because I am the ultimate one who dies and ends up in the grave for three days. Why do we say that in terms of the credibility of Jonah and being swallowed by a great fish? Because actually the Bible claims something far bigger way bigger than being swallowed by a fish and then being spewed up onto the beach. It claims that one man in all of history died, ended up in the grave, literally for three days, and then came back to life. The very foundation of the Bible depends on that. Depends on that truth. Uh, and therefore, we, we, I would suggest to you, don't get hung up on, you know, Jonah and the whale because you've got much bigger problems to deal with. Because the story ultimately points to somebody who didn't just end up swallowed for three days, but actually got swallowed literally by the grave with all of his life expired out of him dead and then comes back to life. Now, if we work through that, if we work through that demand that the Bible makes on us, that one man in all of history came back to life, and we say that is the living God the one who created all of, uh, all of the heavens, all of the world, created you and me, if God did that, then isn't he capable of creating a stepping stone of a man being swallowed by a fish for three days? 
You know, the, cre- the credibility issue actually shifts, doesn't it? We say God claims in Jesus, His Son, to have died and lived again. And so we come to this point now and we say, if, you, if the Lord's purpose, if God's purpose is for us to understand Him, come to terms with the message and desires that He has for us, then this chapter, chapter 3, is helping us today to do that. What does this say to us? Well, Jonah has now, having died, ended up in the bottom of the sea, being thrown up onto the beach, literally vomited out onto the beach, uh, stinking, probably bleached white by the acids of the stomach of the fish, uh, and just stinking uh, of decay, stinking of death, walks from that place and heads off now towards Nineveh. It's quite a walk. It's a long trip that he makes. Nineveh is a long way from the coast. You know, very often we get the idea, don't we, that that Jonah gets thrown up onto the beach and um, makes the half-mile journey into Nineveh. Actually, he had a long trip to make from the coast to to the city. And what we find now is we begin to understand a little bit more of God. What is God like? And in fact, how does that apply to us? And what is our life like in the context of that God? Look at verse 1 of our reading. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I think that is one of the most hope-filled verses in the Bible. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Hang on a sec. This is the same Jonah who disobeyed the God who he had been called to be a prophet for. This is the same Jonah who was a prophet and is a prophet. This is the same Jonah who knows the truth of the God, Yahweh. And he decides in rebellion and stubbornness to head in the other direction. He is, this is the, the one who falls asleep in the bottom of a ship, extraordinary sleep as it was, uh, and finally gets thrown overboard. This is, excuse me, this is a rebel that we're talking about. And then we have this verse. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. What does that say about our God? What kind of a God is He like? He's the God of a second chance. He's the God who comes again to Jonah and speaks again. He says to him effectively, Jonah, now go. I don't know how many times in my Christian experience God has had to say to me, a second time, or a third time, or a fourth time, or a, just do it, Paul. And I would say that Jonah tells us that the God that we worship is a God who is not knocked off course by our tendency to stubbornness, 
He's not a God who is knocked off course by our tendency to rebel against him. He's not a God who who sort of takes the huff when we do what is wrong. Why? Why is God like that? Because he's so, so much bigger, so much greater than us, that our rebellion, our standing stridently against him, where we feel as if we are so rebellious, so kind of determined against him, <laughs> it's nothing to God. Here's Jonah. I'll tell you what, you want me to go to Nineveh? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in completely the opposite direction. I'm going to head across the Mediterranean. I'm going to jump on a ship. You can't get further away than where I'm going. I am determined not to do what you say. And God says, oh, Jonah, I love you. I just love you. But look, I'm going to have to turn you around here. You know, you think you're being so rebellious. You think you're being so determined. Son, let me just send a storm. Let me just send an incredible sleep on you. Let me just send a great fish. You know, it's just your rebellion, your determination to go off in another direction. It's nothing. It's not, I am determined. I am determined that the people of Nineveh are going to hear of me. That's what I'm determined about. And what's more, Jonah, I'm determined that they are going to hear of me, of me from you. And your determination to go in the other direction, well, it's nothing. There, this is no opposition to me. I can wield the powers of nature against your opposition. What can you do, Jonah? What can you do to carry on rebelling against me? What can you do to carry on in your determination not to do what I'm calling you to do? What can you do to stand against me, Jonah? Yes, we have in the Bible a God who describes himself as all-powerful, sovereign, a God who is mighty, a God who can wield the powers of nature, and yet at the same time a God who is gentle and kind and compassionate and a God of the second chance. A God who looks at those who rebel against him and says, I love you, I'm going to turn you around and you're going to do it. That's what God is like. That's what we see in Jonah. We see a kind, compassionate God. A God of awesome power. And yet a God who uses that power to just the level to do what is necessary. We read in the first chapter... Jonah is on this ship and um, the storm erupts. The sailors, it's so bad that they're throwing the cargo overboard. It says in that chapter that the ship is about to break up. It's creaking. You know, these wooden ships uh, of ancient times. um, I mean, they're not the uh, the kind of construction that we get in modern ships. Of course not. They're ancient ships. This ship is creaking, but it's only creaking as far as God determines. He doesn't take it so far that the ship falls apart. 
Can you imagine the kind of control of a God who can, who can wield the power of nature and kind of just ease off and just apply the pressure and ease off the pressure just enough so that the ship is about to break up but doesn't break up. That's what God is like. Because Jonah, you'd need just enough to turn around. You need just enough in the gut of that fish. I can, I can order all of that, but I'll do just enough. I'll do enough as well for you to be one of the most incredible signposts for my son in the whole of the Old Testament. One of the most astounding portrayals of Jesus we see in Jonah. Somebody who buried, gets buried and lives again. I'll do just enough for that. That's the kind of God that we worship. So if that's the kind of God that we worship, what does Jonah discover? What does Jonah find in this? I, I think in lots of ways, this particular chapter begins to answer the question, what is life all about? I watched, did you, do you remember a few, was it last year? I think it was last year. Captain Sully, I can't remember his full name. He was a, an airline pilot with one of the American airlines and he was flying a plane out of New York and he landed the plane on the Hudson River. Do you remember that? And uh, it's just an incredible bit of amateur filming that captured this plane. It was almost as if it, well, it was, literally, coming into land on the river. Just, just an astounding bit of film because you expect at any point the plane to hit the water, do a somersault, and it just be carnage. And he brought this plane down to land. Water sprays everywhere, and it settles down, and there's this plane floating on the Hudson River. A couple of the survivors of that were interviewed afterwards and they began to talk about how that near-death experience, how coming so close to death has just transformed their lives. It's just changed their thinking altogether. I've heard many people, uh, particularly interviewed on TV, who've described just that. They come so close to death, they live... And it just changes their outlook thereafter. You know, the things that were high priority before become relatively unimportant. They live life with a different, from a different perspective. So I want to ask the question this afternoon, what is the ultimate perspective for life? Or, or put it this way, does it have to take for every one of us to go through some sort of a near-death experience to actually find a value to living, to actually find a focus to living. Is it only people who've gone through a near-death experience who, who know how to live to the best? What is living all about? Well, Jonah begins to understand it. He gives us a picture for what we might find. And I think actually what the Bible is describing right the way through. What is life all about? Jonah leaves that shore. And he just obeys the word of the Lord. There's no question this time, is there? Look at what it says in verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. 
Then we've got this little kind of sideline comment. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Nineveh has been discovered. The archaeological site of Nineveh has been discovered. It's just a huge city, but it probably had as part of what was, if you like, most cities have this. They have, kind of have uh, the city center, the inner city, and then spread out around is other parts which are described as the city of. We have it, city of Leeds, city of Liverpool. There's the city itself, and then there's, it kind of sprawls out beyond that, and we still think of it as the city. Nineveh was like that. Three days to walk across a huge area. The city itself was smaller, but still was just enormous for that time. Around about 120,000 people lived in the city. For, the, for, for ancient days, that was just a colossal city. No, Nineveh, Jonah goes to this city of Nineveh, this huge city, uh, and on the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's what he does. 40 days and the city will be overturned. Jonah understands something about himself in that, but also exposes another little bit more about what God is like. We said right at the very beginning, God is a God who is bothered about wickedness. He is. We need to know that the God of the Bible cares about wickedness. Because very often we feel as if with all of this bad stuff going on, does God care? Jonah tells us God cares about wickedness. But also combined with that in this wonderful, brilliant portrayal of what God is like, we have a God who is on the one hand bothered about wickedness and yet on the other hand we have a God who is a God of the second chance. Because he says what? 40 days. There's a warning. There's a time. There's a perspective for you to consider, think, deal with this. Look at what I am saying. You have 40 days. God of a second chance. It would have been justified for God to have just gone in there without any warning and just said, that's what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. If you want to read it, go back and read it in Genesis. There's no warning there. There's hours worth of warning. God commands his, his messengers to go in and to find Lot and his family to give them no warning because he's appalled at the wickedness of the city. He's horrified at the wickedness <coughs> in the same way as he's horrified at the wickedness of Nineveh. And yet here he says, 40 days. He's a God of patience. And yet Jonah understands something of himself here. And I may be in this way, this is the, the area of this particular opening part of this chapter that most helps us. Jonah goes into a huge city, a massive city, bigger than probably anything that he's ever experienced, just overwhelming. In fact, the way the writer captures it, it says that he goes into that city and he's only there on the first day, and it's three days' journey across the city. He's only there in the first day. It's almost to kind of really emphasize the smallness of Jonah. He's just tiny. 
just this tiny, isolated, little voice (coughs) going into this city. And yet there's a transformation takes place. He goes into the city on that first day. He goes in and he proclaims 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. And then straight away we see the Ninevites believed God. Isn't that remarkable? We've come into this situation, haven't we? I don't know about you, but there's many, many, many times when here just seems overwhelming. It's just huge. I don't mean it's just, it's a massive building. Well, it's a decent sized building, isn't it? But we're a, comparatively speaking, a tiny group of people. We're a relatively small voice. We're surrounded by a, a huge, loud, incredibly vibrant voice which seems so engaging, which seems so important, which seems so much bigger than anything that we have to proclaim. Don't you think Jonah felt like that? Don't you think from Jonah's point of view, I'm going to walk into this city and say, a God who you cannot see, a God who you do not know, looks at the city here and says, I am angry with this wickedness, I'm going to turn the city over. Do you really think that that's something that Jonah felt absolutely confident in saying? And yet he went in and he declared it. And then what do we understand? We understand, and there's a good example, we understand, don't we, that this is God's work. God is at work here. God is doing what is necessary for Nineveh to believe. God transforms this city. Maybe what we sang right at the beginning and what we're going to sing again to close, maybe the God of this city is going to do a great work. Maybe there is a remarkable transforming that is going to go on. But one of the things that we just need to keep in mind when we feel like we're a small voice, when we feel as though it's insignificant, when we're terrified because everything seems so big around us and the, the message of uh, the, the outside of the message of the Bible seems so big and so loud, we need to remind ourselves, actually, this is not a work that we're about. This is a work that God is about. And Jonah discovers that. He discovers it firsthand. He discovers it personally. He realizes this is the work of God that is going on. He finds that. And then he realizes something way more important. He realizes that the greatest satisfaction that we can have, the the purpose of life, that which makes life worthwhile, is to be part of that process, part of that task, part of that mission of God to declare Himself to this world. Jonah suddenly finds that. He finds, I'm part of this. I step into this. I let go of my own views. I let go of my determination. I let, I let go of my rebellion. I step into the objective and the desire and the mission of God And I find that's where I need to be. That's where I'm going to find satisfaction and worth. That's where I'm going to find that 
my life is worth living. I think that speaks to us for today. Because very often what we see around and we feel a small voice and all of the rest of it, actually that loud, noisy demand of this world, it really impacts on us as well, deep down inside, doesn't it? We, we begin to lose sight of what is life all about? What is it as, as those who, maybe you're looking and you're thinking, what, what's this guy on about? He's talking about purpose of life. Let me just make it clear. What I'm saying is this. That the purpose of life in this world, the purpose of any human being's existence, is to be part of declaring God in this world. We declare God in this world not by standing up and preaching, although that's part of it. We declare God in this world by, by living in God's world in the way that God has designed for His world to be lived in. By living in this world in the way that God has designed in relationship with Him. That's the ultimate purpose of life. The old catechism uh, put it like this. What is the chief end of man? Uh, by loving God and glorifying Him. That's what it's about. To enjoy Him. To find satisfaction in God. You say, is that what it's really all about? Is life actually that satisfying? Jonah discovers that. I'll let go of everything now. I've, I've now dovetailed into the mission and the purpose of God. <coughs> I am now part of the process of declaring the glory of God in this world. Jonah finds that. He discovers that. And now we see uh, that in discovering that, he communicates to us today the purpose of life. The meaning, the worth, the value of life. <clears throat> I'm trying to decide <coughs> how big the piece of sawdust is that's somewhere at the back there. We'll, we'll get through it. <clears throat> Let me close by encouraging you to see from Jonah an understanding what, what is life all about? What, what is it worth? What am I here for? I'm actually here to find enjoyment and satisfaction and hope and relationship in God. Thanks, God. That's what I'm here for. What else am I here for? What else is worthwhile? John Piper has written a book. I want to encourage you, read it. If you haven't got it, uh, I can point you in the direction. Uh, don't waste your life. On the back he describes uh, a couple who have reached a particular stage in life and um, they've retired. Uh, and this is not a comment on anybody who's got a boat and is planning to sail to the Caribbean. Uh, if that's what you're planning on doing, well, maybe think twice about it. But um, just think about this. He says, you know, what, you're getting to the end of life. What's life all about for you? I'm going to retire and uh, I'm going to buy a boat and uh, we're going to go and we're going to sail around the Caribbean and collect shells. 
And it's going to be just a lovely time. We're going to be out in the sun. And then one day, I'm going to be called to account for the life that I've lived. And I say to God, look at my lovely shells. Is life that insignificant? Is the purpose of life that insignificant? That the temporary pleasure of this life, the temporary adventures of this life are the focus? I mean, let's get this straight. I am one of the first people to say one of the great enjoyments is being in this world and loving what God has created. But let's not get it out of balance. We're living in God's world. We're declaring God in this world. And we want to live as though this world is everything. Or do we want to live as though God is everything? And to be part of being dovetailed into declaring Him in this world is actually at the very center of the purpose of our existence because that is where we will be the happiest of people in this world. I'm not saying that it will mean that life is all frothy and lovely. I'm saying that we will find a solidity, a depth, a meaning to life which gives worth and purpose way beyond anything that this world can temporarily offer to us. And Jonah discovers that. He's now a man on a mission. He's headed into Nineveh. He's let go of his own views. We'll see how it unfolds in the next few weeks. But at least now, He's slotted into, he's dovetailed into the purpose of God in proclaiming himself to this world.